Welcome to this podcast from Harvest Community Church of Huntersville, North Carolina, where our vision is to make disciples who make disciples. I'm your host, Liz Stefanini. We're going to see a picture of, of the church that was devoted to prayer as the church started. We continue today through our series in Acts, which just started a couple of weeks ago. The title of today's sermon is United We Kneel. You know, the phrase united we stand has been used a lot. Jesus said a house divided itself against itself cannot stand. And that motto, united we stand, has been used by many people throughout history. Maybe most notably Abraham Lincoln in 1858 when he was given the speech about the states and about slavery. And he said a house divided against itself cannot uh, cannot stand. The early church was so devoted to prayer that I think their motto was united we kneel. So we're going to look at chapter 1 of Acts, verses 12 to 26. I'm only going to read the first three verses to begin with. We'll look at all of them as we go along. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they had been staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, And his brothers. Well, let's set the context for this. After Jesus had spoken his final earthly words and ascended into heaven, the apostles gathered with their core group to obey his instruction to wait for God's promised Holy Spirit. He had told them, you're going to be my witnesses everywhere. But first, I want you to wait. I want you to wait in Jerusalem until what God the Father has promised is going to come on you. And that is what they're doing. They, Jesus has just ascended. It, in fact, see it, he, it, it starts out, uh, verse 12, then the apostles, uh, returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives. That's where Jesus ascended from the Mount of Olives. And as soon as he ascended, and the angel spoke to them and said, hey, Jesus is going to come and come back in the same manner. They left and they went. It was about a Sabbath day's walk. That was maybe three quarters of a mile. There's certain regulations in the Jewish faith at that time about how far you could walk on the Sabbath before it would be considered work and maybe three quarters of a mile. So it's close by, nearby. And, and then it tells us. Uh, who, what they did in verse 13, they, they went to that upper room where they had been staying and it tells us the people that were involved. Now, this is the same list that Luke gave us in chapter six of his gospel. Remember, Luke wrote the gospel and Acts. Luke's gospel is volume one. This is volume two. It's the same list of people, but there's slight variations. The inner circle of four that are named in Luke as pairs of brother Brothers appear in a different order. And maybe that signals that the new brotherhood in Christ supersedes even human physical brotherhood. 
The next two pairs are rearranged without any apparent reason. And one of the Judases is named Judas, son of James. But, of course, Judas Iscariot is gone. He's off the scene. So he is not named in this. And verse 14 also names the women. These are probably the women that followed along with Jesus' ministry. And it names Mary, his mother, and Jesus' family. That would that was significant for that culture because in that culture, women had no public roles, basically. Now, obviously, the scripture defines certain specific roles for men and women. But it also involves everyone in important things like prayer. And it's men and women both praying together here, and, and that's important. So in these 10 days, there there are 10 days between the time Jesus ascended and what's going to happen next week, Lord willing, we cover in Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost. There's 10 days in there, and there were two things that they did over and over and over. They continuously, according to Luke 24, they continuously praised God in the temple, and there was also continuous prayer in the upper room. The period between the Ascension and Pentecost was a period of waiting, but not a period of inactivity. Now, the early church here, they're in the process of forming. They didn't have budgets. They didn't have buildings. They didn't have a strategy. They didn't have church history to draw from. They didn't have conferences and seminars about how to do it, how to be effective in ministry and this and that and the other. But what they did have is they had a huge commitment to prayer. And they had a huge God. And that's what we're going to see here. As the early church, the first church was formed, it was born in a prayer meeting. And we're going to see, this is on your outline sheet, we're going to see today three characteristics of a praying church. And as we see these characteristics... Hopefully we will see it and we will observe it, but we will take it in and we will evaluate ourselves and our church. We'll find out what God wants us to do and be in this regard. The first characteristic is it is devoted to prayer. Verse 14 says they all joined together constantly. They joined together constantly constantly in prayer. Almost misspoke it in English because in the original language, joined constantly is one word and then together is a separate word. But this is a good legitimate translation. It's joined together constantly. And I'll, I'll dive into that as we go along. But here's something that's very, very interesting to me. Remember when Jesus left them, he gave them a command. He said, you're going to be my witnesses everywhere. But first, you're to do something else. You remember what that command was? That command was to wait. Luke does not record the command specifically that they should pray. It's very interesting to me. They are joining together constantly in prayer while they're waiting But Luke doesn't let us know that Jesus specifically said to them, while you're waiting, I want you to pray. Now, indeed, 
Jesus could have said it. Luke doesn't record every single word that Jesus said. But why, why would they choose to pray so much? Why would they pray for 10 straight days constantly while they were waiting? And I think it has to be that these are the, these are the ones that have walked with Jesus. They have watched Jesus. They have watched his life. They have seen him pray over and over and over again. Luke chapter 5 verse 16 says, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. They watched Jesus pray. They also watched Jesus be baptized in Luke chapter 3. In Luke chapter 3 verse 21, it says, As he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. In other words, Jesus' life and Jesus' teaching made a connection between prayer and the sending of the Holy Spirit in power. And when he told them, look, I want you to wait till God sends the Holy Spirit, it was secondhand for them, or second nature for them, having walked with Jesus and seen Jesus, hey, we need to be praying while we're waiting. Not only his example, but his teaching. Think about the stories he told. Think about the parables that he told. Luke chapter 11, the one where the man uh, has a visitor, an unexpected visitor coming at night, and, and he doesn't have bread, so he goes to his friend and he, and he breaks all the cultural customs late at night and, and knocks on the door and asks the person over and over. And Jesus said, I want you to ask. I want you to seek. I want you to knock. And he said in Luke eleven thirteen, after teaching them about prayer, after telling them this story, he said, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So Jesus may not have explicitly commanded prayer during the waiting period, but his prior example and his teaching convinced them that prayer is part of waiting on God. And that it is tied in with the power that God wants to give through the Holy Spirit. So let's look at the verse. They all join together constantly. I mentioned that joined constantly is one word in the original. It's a participle. It's present tense. In other words, it's picturing an action that is ongoing. It just keeps happening. That's the way the writer pictures this as happening. It means to adhere, to persist in, to busy oneself with, to be busily engaged in, to be devoted to, to spend much time with. Watch some other places in Acts where the exact same word is used. In Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And these are all highlighted in gold where it's the exact same word that we have here in Acts 1.14. Devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, breaking of bread and to prayer. Acts 2.46, they continued to meet together. In Acts 6.4, the apostles appointed servants and they said, we are going to 
give our attention to, or we are going to devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. In Acts 8, even Simon himself believed after being baptized, he stayed constantly with Philip, one version says. So what are many churches in America and church members busy with? You could fill in the blank with a lot of different things probably if you think about the church all across America. But we want to be able to fill in the blank with the word prayer. That's the goal, that we would be known as a church that is devoted to prayer. This church was devoted to prayer. Professional basketball players are devoted to basketball. They practice, they shoot, they dribble, they pass, they defend. They do it over and over and over and over and over again. Musicians are devoted to their craft. They practice the scales, especially early on. They practice them. They do it over and over and over. Some of you have had budding musicians in your home, and you've heard those early practices over and over and over. Can we be the kind of people about whom it is said we are devoted to prayer. Now, Jesus prayed and the Holy Spirit descended on them. The disciples are praying now and soon in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit is going to descend on them for the very first time. Now, of course, today we live past that time in salvation history and any believer, every believer in Jesus Christ already has the Holy Spirit fully living inside of you. And yet the question is, will we wait on God and ask God in prayer for him to fill us and empower us. I sent a chart out this week in the pastor's heart. Um, let us know if you're not on that mailing list uh, and you'd like to get on it one, once a week. I typically send out some things. And it, it was an interesting chart I found in Pray Magazine about the difference between a church that prays and a church that is devoted to prayer. Let me just briefly mention it again. A church that prays, prays about what it does. A church devoted to prayer does things by prayer. A church that prays fits prayer in. A church devoted to prayer gives prayer priority. A church that prays, prays when there are problems. A church devoted to prayer prays when there are opportunities. A church that prays announces a special time and some in the, pray, the church show up. A church devoted to prayer announces a special time of prayer and the church shows up. A church that prays asks God to bless what it is doing. A church devoted to prayer asks God to enable it to do what he is blessing. See the difference there? A church that prays is frustrated by financial shortfall and backs down from projects. A church devoted to prayer is challenged by financial shortfall and calls for fasting, prayer, and faith. A church that prays is tired, weary, and stressed out. A church devoted to prayer mounts up with wings like eagles, runs and does not grow weary, walks and does not faint. A church that prays does things within its means. A church devoted to prayer does things beyond its means. Two more. A church that prays sees its members as its parish a church devoted to prayer sees the world as its parish. 
And finally, a church that prays is involved in the work of man. A church devoted to prayer is involved in the work of God. That's the first characteristic of a church uh, a, that we would call a praying church is that it is it is just devoted to prayer. It's dedicated to prayer. The second one, we continue looking at verse 14. The second one is that it is united in prayer. See, the verse says that little tiny word, together. <laughs> it's the kind of word that we would just maybe skip over and, and go by quickly and not think a whole lot about. It's an adverb. You remember from your high school English, of course, adverbs modify verbs. They tell us how the action occurred, right? So it's not just that they kept on praying, but how did they keep on praying? They kept on praying together. They constantly prayed how? Together. This is one of Luke's favorite words. He uses it 11 times in his writing to stress unity and togetherness. And it only appears one other time in the New Testament. In, in Romans. A good translation here is that would be that they were continuing or remaining constant with one mind in prayer. Together signals that they had one mind and one purpose. This was a united group. This was a group that was focused on one thing together. Now, it could mean, and sometimes in its uses does mean, that they were physically together in the same place, which was true. But I think as we take a look at the other occurrences in the book of Acts, I think we're going to see that it's likely, more likely, that it, that it refers not only to physically being together, but emotionally and spiritually being together. So, for instance, Acts 2, same word again, highlighted in gold. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. That was physically being together, as it is in 246. Every day they continued to meet together. But notice some other instances. Uh, 424, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Acts 512, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. Acts 8, 6, the crowd with one accord listened eagerly what was said. By Philip. Acts twelve twenty. He speaking of Herod, had been quarrelling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They now joined together and sought an audience with him. And then, in Acts fifteen at the Jerusalem Council, when they had these discussions, they said, "We have same word, but it's translated. We have decided unanimously." To choose representatives and send them to you. So it's, it's this idea of, of people that unite around one purpose. It is also used, and all of these are good purposes so far, it's also used of people that unite around evil purposes. But this will just give you a flavor of the word that's being used. For instance, in Acts 7.57, at this they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed in NRSV says they all rushed together against him. Acts eighteen twelve. 
while Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul. And then in Acts 19, the people seized Gaius and Aristarchus, and all of them rushed into the theater together, or almost literally as one man. So think about this. Here's 11 strong-willed men. These are men that argued about who was going to get the best seat in the kingdom of heaven, who was going to get to sit next to Jesus. These are men that refused to wash each other's feet. They sat around since there was no servant around and nobody washed anybody's feet except Jesus was the one that did it. These are the men before the cross. These are the men that are very independent and very much on their own. And yet God has worked in them and God has changed them. And now we find them praying together. We find them praying together. Well, you might ask, what, what was the result of the prayer? What, what happened when they prayed like this? And, and that leads us to the third point in our outline this morning. The third characteristic of a praying church is that it is led and empowered by God. The praying church is led and empowered by God. Now, what we're going to see is in the next, from verses 15 to 26, we're going to see how they were led by God to make a very, very important decision. And then as you go through the rest of the book of Acts, we're going to see how they were empowered by God. We don't have time today to talk about all the ways that they were empowered by God. We will see that, Lord willing, as we continue through the book of Acts. But just note that this is fundamental. This is foundational. This prayer together, this united prayer that happened a lot, not just this time, but it happened. It was characteristic of their whole church life. It resulted in their being led by God at many turns. It resulted in them being empowered by God. But let's take a look at one specific way they were led, beginning in verse 15. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120. All right, now remember, there's fewer than that in the upper room praying, but now he stands up there and there's about 120 of them so far. He stands up among them and verse 16 says, brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. With the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. And there he fell headlong, his body burst open, and his, all his intestines spilled out. And everyone in Jerusalem heard about this. So they called that field in their language Akaldama, which is field of blood. And so now Peter quotes two Old Testament scriptures, Psalm 69 and Psalm 109. The first one explains what happened, Jesus' defection or Judas' defection and death. And Psalm 109 explains what they should do about him. They should replace him. So here's Psalm 69. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and... And here's Psalm 109, may another take his place of leadership. So as they're making this decision, 
they're appealing to Scripture. They're also appealing to what we might call some common sense. Verse 21. Therefore, it is necessary for us to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. They use deductive reasoning. If the apostolic replacement was to have the same ministry, he should have the same qualifications that all of them had and that Judas Iscariot had, and that is that they would be a witness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and that Christ would be the one that appointed him. Now, the difference is, of course, Christ physically appointed all of the original ones and now he's gone back to heaven and so now they're they're seeking God's leadership to say okay Christ who are you going to appoint now now there's no living apostles today these were the apostles so they employed scripture they employed common sense and now they employ prayer verse 23 so they nominated two men Joseph called Barsabbas also known as Justice And Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. So now they do something that seems strange to us because it's just not part of the New Testament culture, but they were still living in the Old Testament times until they got to Acts chapter 2. I mean, they were in that transitional time. The New Testament had begun. Jesus' life had been there. But it's, it's still a transition from the old to the new. And verse 26, then they cast lots. And the lot fell to Matthias, so he was added to the 11 apostles. This was a standard Old Testament custom. It was very common in the Old Testament for lots to be cast. Proverbs 16.23 says, The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. So what they would do, they would put a couple of stones in a container with a name on each of them, and they would shake it up, and the one that came out would be the name that would be God's choice. We don't do this still today. (laughs) Um, Because we now have all of Scripture completed, which they didn't have. We also have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. And we also don't have any command to do that in the the New Testament. This is one of those examples. If you remember, perhaps... When we introduced the series in Acts, we said there are a lot of things that are described in Acts and there's some things that are both described and prescribed. So not everything that is described means we're to do it exactly the same way. So like if we, if we said, okay, we got to do everything that the church did in Acts, then every time we had hired a new staff member or added new elders or any new church leaders, we'd cast lots for them. And we might go, that would be silly, right? Because God has given us other ways of discerning his will today. It's described. And we're going to find that out next week when we get into Acts chapter 2. There are things that are described in Acts chapter 2 that aren't prescribed for us today. 
And it happens at many points in the book of Acts. But so I would summarize, as I look at this story that's different for us, what were the factors they used to determine God's will? Well, there was the general leading of Scripture. There was common sense. There was prayer. And there was drawing lots. And I think for us today, you could look at that list and you could say, the first three of those are great continuing principles, principles that keep going on. The drawing lots stopped at this point. This is the last time we see or hear about it in the New Testament. And again, there's no command for it. And there are other ways. Of course, there's the plurality of counsel. There's safety in a multitude of counselors. There are other things, ways you determine God's will. But we're just looking at how they did it. And it can be helpful for us. So they were led by God. The fact they're a praying church. Remember, this is in the context of praying for 10 straight days. This is the context as they're doing this Old Testament practice that they're praying. Oh, Lord, you show us, you show us. But they were also empowered by God. We're going to find out in the very next chapter. They are filled with the Holy Spirit for ministry. People were awestruck at the way God's work. There were regular and numerous conversions. There were miracles. These people who had been scared became bold witnesses for Christ. They experienced miraculous answers to prayer. They spread the gospel and so many people were saved. And in fact, missions, they sent the, the message of Jesus Christ all over the known world. The praying church was led by God and it was also empowered by God. So... Here's how I would summarize it for us today. When God builds his church, what happens? It prays together as one. When God builds his church, it prays together as one. The most important meeting of any church is the prayer meeting. We need a lot of things in this church. We need Wisdom, as we're about to open up children's ministry again, we need more workers to help with that children's ministry. We need a new associate pastor. We need financial resources to meet budget. But I'm not sure that anything rises to the same level as our need to be a praying church. Can I just share my heart with you a little bit this morning? Um... COVID, the coronavirus, COVID-19, the last year has been hard on everybody, right? Many people have been sick themselves or had people that they love who've been affected, some in very, very strong ways. And, and our church, like every church, has pivoted multiple times and we've tried to figure it all out. But I, I think it's, it's affected us in prayer. Um, if we go back a year ago, our, our standard, we don't put everything on, on, on one meeting, but we did have a prayer meeting every Sunday morning. We had a nine o'clock prayer meeting and we had a 10 o'clock service. When COVID hit, we couldn't meet together at all for a while. So as you probably know, we, we did virtual for two or three months. 
And then we started meeting outside and still doing a virtual. So those who could come in person and we spaced out just like you guys are spaced out this morning. And in the process of doing all of that, we eliminated that Sunday morning prayer meeting. Um, not because prayer was unimportant, but many times in that prayer meeting, it was a smaller number of people, but but we would be in the cafe and we would be or down here together and we would be around each other in a in a circle or we'd be in small groups of three and four praying and you're, you know, definitely no social distancing. <laughs> and so with the, the schedule of trying to work everything in and trying to keep people safe, we we decided not to do that for a time. But we need to be a praying church. We have to be a praying church. I hope you've noticed one thing that we've done, which hopefully we would do regardless of whether we have a weekly prayer meeting somewhere on, on the calendar schedule, whether it's in person or virtual or whatever. Uh, I hope you've noticed that we're trying to incorporate more prayer in our Sunday morning gatherings. We're trying to allow you opportunities to pray because we are together now. So hopefully, hopefully we're moving through this pandemic. (laughs) Hopefully we're moving into some new spaces. And I, I don't, I'm not, I don't have an announcement to make today about, okay, here's some new prayer emphases. As you guys know, we not only do the weekly stuff, we do like, uh, 40 days of prayer in January. We tie in with the National Day of Prayer in May. We do some other prayer emphases. But I'm not announcing, because I don't think, even if I could, that it's all about one meeting. This is about atmosphere. This is about commitment. This is about prayer happening all the time. This is about God raising up prayer. This is about people being devoted to prayer. And I just want to ask you, there's some prayers. I think, I think are these on the outline? Uh, is that on your outline sheet? Okay. There are just three prayers that I want to ask you over this season right now to pray regularly. Lord, will you lead our church to constant united prayer? And then, as you're praying for the church, pray for yourself. Lord, will you lead me to pray with the church? And then, again, we are, uh, we're beginning the search. We're very initial in it. We have, we've just been doing all the background stuff with compensation and, uh, job descriptions and evaluation, what our needs are. And in the next few weeks, we'll be finishing that and then we'll be opening up the search for an associate pastor. And so the third prayer would be, Lord, will you provide our church with the new associate pastor of your choice. So I just want to ask you two questions about this. Will you pray these prayers for the next 10 days? Will you pray these prayers? Now, you can use different words, but the prayer for the church, as far as being a praying church, a united in prayer church, the prayer for yourself, God, what do you want me to do? How can I be involved? 
and in a prayer that God would lead us. And the, re- the reason why I say 10 days, I hope you pray this for a lot longer than 10 days. <laughs> but they prayed for 10 days. And today's March 21st. There are 10 days left in March. And I thought, okay, let's just put the challenge out for the rest of this month to ask every single harvester to pray these prayers. And secondly, will you pray these prayers with others? I want to ask you to pray it, not just by yourself. But I ask you, I want to ask you on at least one occasion, maybe multiple occasions in the next few weeks, specifically in the next 10 days, we just gather somebody, maybe call them up on the phone. Hey, look, can we pray about these things together? Maybe it's your group. Maybe you're already in, a, in an existing group. Hey, let's pray about these things together. What does it look like for Harvest to be a house, a prayer? So here's a, here's a little diagram. I think there's three. I think there's three components to it. The first one is individuals and families are praying. We can have all of the planned activities where we all come together, but the fundamental, maybe the foundation, the floor is individuals praying regularly and constantly and families praying together. And then groups praying together. We have groups that study the Bible, that love each other and do community together. And they pray together. And it's very important for those groups to be marked by prayer. And then the third level, so you see the first level is very personal, individual. Then it's when you're with kind of a small group. But then there are church-wide times. I really believe a house of prayer has a commitment to prayer that involves all three of those levels. And again, we want to do it safely. We want to do it appropriately, and we will. We, we have a, a virtual prayer meeting every Thursday morning at 7.30 that anybody can join already. But please pray about these things. In 19, or 1858, 1858, six people, six, began praying in New York City every day for a revival. Six people. Within six months, there were daily prayer meetings that happened at noon that more than 10,000 people, business people, were gathering every day praying for revival in New York City. And within two years, more than a million people had been converted and added to the church. A.T. Pearson says there never has been a revival in any country that has not begun in united prayer. Let's not just hang out together, Harvest. Let's pray together. Let's pray together. Because when God builds a church, it prays together as one. Thanks again for joining us today from Harvest Community Church. This podcast is also available on our website, harvestcharlotte.com. Please go there if you want to send a question or comment, learn more about our ministries, or find out how you can donate to support the podcast.